Our speaker this morning is Dakota Lynch. Uh, Dakota is the executive director of Scripture Memory Fellowship. Many of you are familiar with that, having uh, been here with Jim Wojcik over the years. And so we're grateful, Dakota, for you to come this morning. In 2015, Dakota began full-time ministry with SMF, and uh, he is the oversees the program development and manages the day-to-day operations of SMF. Uh, he's also developed an app called the Verse Locker, which is a free app that you can download for your phone uh, to help you with uh, scripture memory. Uh, so we encourage you to do that. So Dakota, thank you for coming this morning. Uh, the last minute, may God bless your message uh, that you have for us. And uh, we wish your wife Laura could have come with you so we could meet her. But uh, we'll have you come down and bring your message. Good morning. It is a real pleasure to be here with you this morning. And uh, as, as we just learned, it's somewhat short notice for me. I, I didn't know that I was going to be here at this time yesterday. <laughs> I was actually down in San Antonio with my wife. We were enjoying a little anniversary getaway, and she... Uh, said, hey, I'm, I'm getting some texts that Pastor, Pastor Drake is trying to reach you. And so uh, I was sad to hear that he's under the weather, but trusting that the Lord will raise him up. And I was just reflecting over the last 24 hours or so uh, how God has used this church in such a way in my life. And you might say, how is that possible? I don't, I don't recognize you. <laughs> You're not here with us very often. And that's true, but God has used the people of this church in a very special way in my life. Uh, the Carmens have been just a, a real blessing to uh, to my wife and I. Of course, the Tort Petersons, and many of you know the Wojcicks. So God has really used this church to shape the people who have shaped me. And I'm just thankful for that and thankful for the opportunity to uh, be here with you this morning. And I'm looking forward to sharing with you one of my favorite passages of Scripture. This is a passage that I come back to probably every week just in my own walk with the Lord. And so it's one that I'm eager to share with you. So if you have your Bibles, uh, let me invite you to turn to Psalm 119. And don't worry, we're not going to read the whole thing. But I would like to share with you a particular stanza starting in verse 89. We'll read that stanza and then we'll take a look at the first verse of the next stanza too, just because it fits so well together. But let's read Psalm 119 starting in verse 89 through 97. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that it is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that it would pierce even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, that it would discern the thoughts and intents of our heart, and that you would enable us to say with the psalmist, oh, how I love your law, it is my meditation 
all the day. Father, thank you for this opportunity, this unexpected opportunity to be here with uh, the folks at Terrell Bible Church. I pray that you would bless our study of your word. We pray that it would edify your people and that it would glorify your son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to focus uh, this morning on just a couple of verses from the passage that we just read together, and, and I'd like to draw your attention specifically to verses 92 and 93, where the psalmist writes, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. And I mentioned this is a passage of Scripture that has been very significant in my life I won't take a lot of time, but I'll, I'll share that when I was 14 years old, my parents were divorced. We relocated to the St. Louis area, and that was a very trying time in my life. All of my friends were suddenly several hours away, and I was just doubting a whole lot of things. And that's when I really came to faith in Christ, and I started to get into God's Word like I never had, and that's when I started memorizing Scripture. And I didn't know then that that would become a bedrock for my faith and a source of stability in the midst of situations that were anything but stable. And here I am, uh, these 16 years later, looking back and saying, wow, if God's word had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. And I feel like that's what the psalmist is saying in a way. He's looking back on his life, and he is seeing the significance of God's word, saying, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished. Now, Let's just take a quick moment to survey Psalm 119, and, and one of the things that we know about Psalm 119, of course, is that this is the longest psalm in the Bible. Uh, one thing we don't know for sure is who wrote it. If you look at the top uh, of the chapter, there's no superscription. It does not say a psalm of David. So we don't have concrete evidence that it was written by David, but a lot of people think that it was written by David. And let me share with you uh, Spurgeon's perspective on this. He says, If David did not write it, there must have lived another believer of exactly the same order of mind as David, and he must have addicted himself to psalmody with equal ardor and have been an equally hearty lover of holy writ. And so I tend to agree with, with Spurgeon on this. We don't know for sure that it was written by David, but if you read everything else that David wrote, you can see a lot of his fingerprints on this psalm. And so uh, for the purpose of our time together this morning, I'm going to just assume that David wrote this, and I think we have good reason to believe that he did. Uh, we also know that the predominant theme of this psalm is the Bible. The longest chapter in the Bible is about the Bible, and I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, and you'll find as you make your way through all 176 verses, nearly every verse makes some reference to the Bible. You'll see words like law, precepts, testimony, statutes, ordinances. It is very, very hard to find a verse in Psalm 119 that does not make some reference direct or indirect to the Word of God. And so it's just very interesting to me that this psalm is really... Uh, just a tribute to the priceless nature of God's Word. And again, verse 92 and 93 highlight for us the significance of God's Word in David's life. Now, one thing that is not so well known about Psalm 119 is that it was written to be memorized. Now, I'm going to assume 
that if you decided to memorize some particular chapter of the Bible, you would probably not pick Psalm 119. We almost uh, laugh it off as if there's just no way that you could possibly memorize Psalm 119. And yet I'd like to share with you a quote that really highlights the fact that this was a, a psalm intended to be memorized. This is from the Holman Concise Bible Commentary. This massive psalm is a song in honor of the law. In its 22 eight-verse stanzas, which are organized in acrostic order. Each verse of each unit begins with the same letter. This made the psalm easier to memorize. So it's, it's given to us as an acrostic, which is a memory technique, right? And so it's just um, noteworthy that as we think about memorizing Scripture, Psalm 119 not only highlights the value of God's Word, but it was written in such a way as to facilitate the memorization of Scripture. So as we, as we take a big look at this uh, passage of Scripture that we've, that we've just read, Psalm 119, 89 through 97, you'll notice you can divide it into a few different parts. And when you look especially at the first few verses, the psalmist is highlighting for us some things that are enduring, some things that are basically changeless. And the first thing uh, he highlights that is changeless is the Word of God itself. When he says, forever, O Lord, your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. This is something that does not change. The next thing that he says uh, doesn't change is God's faithfulness. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. And then he looks at creation and he says, you have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to visit the mountains, but sometimes my wife and I will take a trip to Colorado and there's just something about looking at those mountains and realizing that they predate everything that I've ever experienced, that before my great-great-grandparents were born on this earth, those mountains looked just like they do now. And I feel like that's what we're gathering here. Uh, David's looking out on creation and he's saying, God has made these things. And yet when we get to... Uh, Let's see, this is, I believe, verse 91. Uh, he, he switches gears just a little bit. Uh, in fact, this is uh, verse 92, I'm sorry. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. We see now that he's not just talking about things that are changeless, but he takes an introspective look at his own mortality and his frailty. In contrast with these things that are immovable and unshakable, he says, if it had not been for the immovable word of God, I would have perished. And we know just by taking a quick look at David's life that he was well acquainted with his own frailty, wasn't he? He was someone who encountered more than his fair share of life and death experiences. When he was a shepherd and he was encountering lions and bears, those were moments when he could have died. When he encountered Goliath, we, we know that he went into that with great faith, but that was a battlefield where many feared that he would die. When he was fleeing Saul in the wilderness, he had the promise that he would eventually be the king of Israel, but you know, there were moments perhaps when he wondered what's going to happen next. And so we see that David was acquainted with his own frailty, and as he reflects on all of that, he says, you know, there's one reason that I survived, and that's what we see in verse 92. He says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Now, what affliction is he talking about? 
We don't quite know, but take your pick. David had more <laughs> affliction than many of us will ever face, and he says it was really um, his delight in God's word that enabled him to survive. And so this morning, I'd like to spend some time just examining what does it really mean to delight in God's word. And I think that's an important thing for us to understand because delighting in God's word was apparently very crucial in David's life. It was the thing that enabled him to survive. And so we should ask, well, how did he delight in God's word? How can we delight in God's word? The psalmist does not look back. David does not look back and say, you know, if I had not spent all that time practicing with my slingshot, <laughs> I would have perished in my affliction. If I, if I hadn't been, you know, working out five days a week, I don't know how I, how I could have taken that bear. <laughs> but he says it was God's word that enabled him to survive. I think when we hear the term delight in God's word, we might, we might be tempted to think of that as sort of an emotional response to God's word, that we just appreciate God's word, that we like it, that it encourages us. But I don't think that the psalmist here was saying, you know, if I, if I didn't cherish the Bible in my heart, if I didn't have those nice uh, framed prints from Hobby Lobby on my wall with scripture printed there, you know, I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think that he's talking about something a little bit more practical when he says he delighted in God's word. I don't think that he's saying that when he woke up and he couldn't sleep because of all of the fear and all of the circumstance that he just quoted scripture to himself until he fell asleep. I think that the psalmist delighted in God's word in some very practical ways because we see that when, when David faced the most pivotal moments of his life, he delighted in scripture. So, Let's take a look at David facing Goliath. We're familiar with that story. And what did he say? Who, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who, who would defy the armies of the living God? I feel like in that story, you see David delighting in Scripture. You see him delighting in the God of the Bible and saying, this is, this is not in accordance with God's will. We see, perhaps even more clearly, when he was fleeing Saul in the wilderness. And he was in that cave. He had at least a couple of opportunities to kill Saul. And his friends thought that he should, but he said, who am I to put forth my hands and touch God's anointed? Those are examples of David delighting in God's word because he was doing the biblical thing in those moments. He was prizing obedience to the word of God. And so I feel like when we get to Psalm 119 verse 92, it's almost as if David is saying, listen, I have faced some near-death experiences. I have had some big forks in the road in my life. And the only reason that I'm alive to tell you about it today is because when I encountered those moments, I delighted in God's word and made the biblical decision. And I think that's really what David meant when he said, I delight in God's word. You know, our lives are filled with pivotal decisions as well, aren't they? I was thinking about that, and we all know that there are big decisions we face in life. If you were to ask any young person, what are, what are the big decisions you should be prepared for? They might say, well, I, I need to be very careful about who I marry, what I do for a living, where I live. There are some big decisions that we always prepare ourselves for. But what I've discovered is that sometimes the biggest decisions in life 
are the decisions that come to you out of nowhere, and you have to make a decision in a split second. And then 10 years later, you look back and you say, you know what? I didn't realize it. But choosing to attend that church or choosing to remain friends or not remain friends with that person, those are things that have a, an enormous impact over the course of our lives. So sometimes big decisions come to us in disguise, somewhat unexpectedly. And of course, we all know that the smaller decisions that we make every single day, the music we listen to, the books that we read, how are we delighting in God's word in those areas? And the cumulative impact of these daily decisions that we make are enormous. And they shape us into the person that we will become. And God calls us through his word to delight in scripture as we make those daily decisions. So I want to share three components this morning that I think really define what it means to delight in God's word. First of all, we delight in God's word by knowing what it says. We delight in God's word by knowing what it says. And we see that especially there in verse 93 where he says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Now, when I read Psalm 119, it's easy to kind of take each verse as its own independent thought, almost like when you read Proverbs. Context really doesn't have as as much significance in the book of Proverbs because you have these isolated teachings that come to us one by one. But I think in, in this particular section, 92 and 93 really go together because he says in 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction, so I will never forget your precepts. It's almost as if, to use an illustration, David got in his car one day he buckled his seatbelt, and later on he was in an accident, and the only reason he survived is because he had a seatbelt on, and so he says, you know what, I'm never going to drive anywhere without my seatbelt on. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm feeling here as I read these two verses, because he says, if I hadn't delighted in God's word, I would have perished. So I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. David recognized that God's word sustained him. It was life-giving. It was life-changing. And so he resolves very intentionally, I will never forget your precepts. So we delight in God's word by knowing what it says. Now, this is my first point. It might also seem like the most obvious. Of course, we have to know what God's word says. But I'd like to, to share with you this morning that this is, this is something we can't take for granted. In the ministry of SMF, I have the opportunity very often to travel to uh, homeschool conventions, conferences, churches, etc., and just meet believers across the country. And what I've seen is that biblical illiteracy, if I could use that expression, is a real and a growing problem in our world today. Let me share just a few statistics did you know that less than half of all adults can name all four Gospels? 3% of teenagers read the Bible every day. And most high school seniors think Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. I don't know what the percentage is, but I also read that a significant number of young people think that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife, presumably because of the Ark. I'm not sure. And that would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. 
But it's tragic because this is the world that we're living in, a world where people don't know what the Bible says. Now, I've grown up in church, and I know that typically when we hear statistics like that, we kind of look out on the world and say, wow, shame on them, the unwashed masses who don't appreciate the Bible. But can I tell you that I've seen for myself that these statistics are getting more and more and more close to home. I remember I was at a homeschool conference some years ago, and this eight-year-old young man came and was just chatting with us. He was very social. And I said, uh, hey, do you know any Bible verses that you could quote for me? He says, I don't know any verses. I said, well, how about John 3:16? for God so loved the world? And he had no clue. His eyes just got wide. He's like, I don't know that verse. And a few minutes later, his father came up to the booth, shook my hand, and introduced himself to me as the pastor of a local church. I thought, this is not good. I was at a pastor's conference many years ago, and uh, this, this one uh, pastor was at the booth, and we had this little wheel. It looked like a wheel of fortune, so to speak, but it had these different wedges, and on each one was a different book of the Bible, from the New Testament specifically. And we would just ask people who came up, hey, spin the wheel and see if you can recite any verse of the Bible from that book. And this guy spun the wheel. He lands on Galatians. He's like, I don't know anything from Galatians. He spins it again. And this went on for a few minutes. And finally, his, his brother in Christ standing next to him says, brother, I think the Lord is trying to tell you by his sovereign hand, you need to memorize some more verses. <laughs> but I share those stories just to point out that Biblical illiteracy is not just a problem among the unsaved, but I feel like it's an increasing problem that we face even as believers. And so I I would encourage you, don't just give yourself a pass on this because you're in church on a Sunday morning or because you go to a Bible church. And even if you feel like God has blessed you and you're not the victim of biblical illiteracy, ask him to show you, are there children and grandchildren in your life that need to be instructed in the ways of Scripture? Now, as we think about knowing God's Word, uh, this is the part where I talk about memorizing Scripture. (laughs) And, of course, you guys saw that coming. Uh, But I want to share just a few obstacles that I think we all face when it comes to memorizing Scripture. And these are obstacles that I face when it comes to memorizing Scripture. And so I, I think you might be able to relate. The first obstacle that we face when it comes to delighting in God's Word by knowing what it says is... I have a bad memory. You know, scripture memorization is important, sure, but I'm just not able to do that. I'm not able to memorize scripture. And when I was 14 years old, I was convinced that I could not memorize scripture. And at 14, I I began to read this book. It was a 40-day devotional book, not necessarily about memorizing scripture, but just about growing in your faith. And it started out in the introduction by saying, over the next 40 days you'll be memorizing scripture. And I thought, no, I'll I'll just skip that part because I don't have a good memory. My mom used to say, Dakota, you would get lost in Winnie the Pooh's One Acre Wood because my memory was just that bad. How did I get here and how do I get out? But this author went on to say, you know, you've already memorized the lines to your favorite movies. You know all the lyrics to your favorite songs. He says, the first thing you need to realize is that you can memorize Scripture. And so as a new believer, I felt somewhat guilted into beginning this discipline. And what I realized is, well, I guess I had never succeeded because I had never really tried. I had never really given Scripture the same attention that I give to my favorite song that I listen to a hundred times, right? And so I would encourage you, don't, 
don't assume that you can't memorize Scripture. And I would also encourage you to take note of that very powerful phrase in verse 93 when the psalmist says, I will never forget your word. There's some intentionality there, isn't there? There's some resolve. And I think what we see there is that every generation of believers has faced this need to be intentional about prioritizing God's word. If you think that you're too busy to memorize scripture, here is a man who had a nation to rule. And he said, no, I will never forget your word. Another thing I've realized as I think about, I have a bad memory, I, I can't quite memorize scripture, is that we always remember the things that are important to us. My wife and I just celebrated seven years of marriage, and yet if I had made the blunder of forgetting that anniversary, I don't think she would have said, well, I know that you aren't quite good with dates. But she would rightfully assume that I forgot because I wasn't valuing it enough, right? That's, that's the rightful assumption that a wife would make if her husband forgets her anniversary. And similarly, when I look back over the course of my life, the things that I remember most vividly, maybe that's my first date with my wife, Maybe that's the day that I moved to Texas. Maybe that's, you know, an important event that happened. I haven't intentionally sought to remember those things, but I remember them because they are important to me. And I think that we can bear that in mind as we set out to memorize Scripture, that the, the most important component is just valuing God's Word in the same way that we see David valuing it here. Another obstacle that we face is this. I don't have time to memorize scripture. Life is busy. In fact, uh, it, it seems like it just keeps getting busier, doesn't it? You're probably looking out on the week ahead saying, you know, we've got this on Monday, this on Tuesday, this on Wednesday, and it just feels like it never ends. I, I heard someone say comically, adulthood is just constantly telling yourself, yeah, but after this week, things are going to slow down a little bit. <laughs> I don't know if you resonate with that, but sometimes I feel like that's true. But did you know that most adults spend 147 minutes per day on social media. Wow. Now you're thinking, wow, that's not me. I, I'm so thankful that I'm not wasting my time staring at my phone all day. Sometimes my phone will just give me a notification and it'll say, hey, congratulations, you spent two hours less on your phone this week. And I'm saying, did I spend two hours on my phone last week? It adds up, it really does. And, and we see that most adults are spending two hours per day on social media. And I think what happens then is that if we're not careful, we end up tithing our time to our phones while we give God the crumbs that fall from the table. And we say, I'm too busy for that. I'm too busy to memorize scripture. One pastor said, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. <laughs> We're not talking necessarily about prayerlessness, but I think that we do see in our culture today that people are making time for the things that they value. And if you're saying, well, those things don't apply to me, that statistic is not true of me because I'm certainly not wasting two hours of my day every single day. Think of it this way. The faster you're driving a car, the more urgent it is that you wear a seatbelt, right? And if your life really is so busy... If you're making those decisions on a daily basis because you've got, you know, school here and kids there and a marriage, and you've got all of this action that's just filling every moment of your day, 
then the value of God's word becomes even more important. Scripture memorization becomes more important the busier you are. And that might sound counterintuitive, but you need God's word all the more when you're busy. I think another obstacle we face is this idea that memorizing scripture isn't necessary anymore. Now, no one will say that, but I think subconsciously we all are aware that we have these in our pockets. Having a smartphone with us gives us something that saints of old never had, and that is the ability to look up any verse of the Bible in whichever translation we want. Even if we don't know exactly what it says, we can just type in a few words and there it is. So when we think about memorizing scripture, do we really have to worry about it in this 21st century? But I want to share a verse with you. Uh, This is from Proverbs 22, verse 28. It says, Do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. And you say, what does that have to do with scripture memorization? (laughs) Bear with me for a second. In this passage, Solomon is saying, you know, when you find a property line, an ancient landmark, you have to be careful about moving it because it's been there for a long time. And when your ancestors have honored that for generation after generation, it's probably there for a reason. And I just want to invite us to to consider this morning that for a couple thousand years, Scripture memorization was considered a way of life for the church. Hiding God's Word in our heart is something that generation after generation of believers consider to be very important. And I think it would just be important for us to not come along here in the 21st century with our smartphones and move that ancient landmark very hastily. And I'm not saying we ought to memorize Scripture just for old time's sake because great-grandma did it, but I do think we ought to ask ourselves, why did they do it? Why did they memorize Scripture? I don't want to spend too much time on this point, but could I just ask this question? Have we had enough time to see if Bible apps were enough? It's been a while now that we've had Scripture at our fingertips. And has our world been transformed by that? I mean, just imagine what it might have been like to go back to Paul in a prison cell and say, I have good news. Fast forward to 2023. There's going to be a country that has over 50 translations of the Bible. They're going to walk around with it in their pockets all day long. They'll be able to find anything, Paul, that you have ever written in a split second. And Scripture will just saturate them uh, in the sense that it's accessible from anywhere. He would have pictured a culture that looks a whole lot different than ours does today, wouldn't he? If having the Bible on our phones was a substitute for knowing it by heart, then why are we headed in the wrong direction as a culture? Why are these statistics that I shared about biblical illiteracy getting worse and worse? I think we've had enough time to see if knowing God's word by heart really matters, and it does. We see that in Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it, not just in our pockets, but in our mouth and in our hearts so that we can do it. So we delight in God's word by knowing what it says. Secondly, we delight in God's word by meditating on what it says. And I'd like to share with you a few verses from Psalm 119 that really just highlight the value and the practice of meditating on the word of God. 
These are all from Psalm 119. Verse 15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Verse 23, even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. That's verse 48. Verse 78, let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Verse 95, the wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. The same idea there, considering God's word. Verse 148, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. On a side note, I love that verse because we see that he's carving out time for God's word. If you feel like you're too busy to memorize scripture, here's David saying, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night. He's setting his alarm a little bit early, it sounds like, to get into God's word. But these verses highlight for us the importance of meditating on scripture. Psalm 1, we know it well, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Verse 3 is talking about that fruitful tree that's sending out its branches and sending down its roots, and we read that verse and we think, sign me up, that's what I want. We'll buy that verse from, from the store frame it on our walls. That sounds perfect, but how do we get there? That's what we read, especially in verse 2, when it says, that's the fate of the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. What does it mean to meditate on something? Well, again, I think our pop culture has kind of skewed that word a little bit. It doesn't mean emptying our minds. It means filling our minds filling our minds with the Word of God. In fact, I'm told that if you look at the Hebrew there, the word meditate really has the idea of a cow chewing on the cud, something that it's just taking with it and mulling on through the day. One example that I'll share, um, you just heard that I, uh, years ago, created an app for a scripture memory. And when I started writing that software, I had no idea what I was doing. I had never written code really before. And so I would go home from work every day just about facing some sort of a problem. I was trying to figure out why isn't it working? I have no idea what's broken and how to fix it. And even when I got home and I was mowing the lawn, eating dinner, having a conversation, that was just going on in my mind. And I was trying to figure it out. And I would wake up in the night and it was on my mind almost in my dreams. And I would wake up and think, well, when I get to the office, I'm going to try to change that piece and see if it works. And, you know, oftentimes it did. But it was something that consumed my thoughts. Even when I was occupied with other things, that was the narrative going on in the background. And I feel like it would be a beautiful thing if that's the relationship we had with God's Word, such that we don't just compartmentalize our Bible study and we read a few verses in the morning and then we go on with our day and we think about those things. But if we take a passage of Scripture and meditate on it, and just let it cycle through our thoughts moment by moment, hour by hour throughout the day. 
that's when we get to be like the tree that's planted. It's interesting to me that you never really find Scripture memory in the Bible apart from meditation. The two are designed to go together. The idea isn't just memorize Scripture so that you can recite it perfectly and then go on with your life. It's so that you can meditate on Scripture, so that your thoughts are consistent with Philippians 4.8 where it says, think about the things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report. The best way to achieve that is by meditating on the Word of God. So we delight in God's Word by knowing what it says, by meditating on what it says. And then finally, we delight in God's Word by obeying what it says. Joshua 1.8 says this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. This is one of my favorite verses that summarizes all of the things that we've just been talking about. Here's someone who's being instructed, know God's word, meditate on God's word, so that you can obey God's word. We see that when he says, uh, God says to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. How is that possible for someone who doesn't have the Bible on his phone, right? Knowing God's word allows it to be on your lips at all times. So he's being instructed to know what the book of the law says so that it's always on his mouth. And it says you shall meditate on it day and night. Knowing God's word is for the purpose of meditating on God's word. But even meditating on God's word is not an end in itself, is it? Because we see that meditation is for a specific purpose so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It's reminiscent of Psalm 1-3, that fruitful tree. We see the same thing happening here. Someone whose way is prosperous, someone who's enjoying good success. This is the man who's delighting in God's word, who's knowing what it says. It's on his lips, who's meditating on what it says. It's on his mind, and who's obeying what it says. It's being lived out in his hands and feet. Now, I want to just encourage you as well, as you study God's Word and as you meditate and memorize uh, the Word of God, take time to slow down and enjoy the passage of Scripture that you're memorizing and ask God to show you how should this impact my life. You know, one of the things that is somewhat frightening for me to consider is that the Pharisees in Jesus' day were the elite scripture memorizers, weren't they? They memorized scripture better than anybody. And so the idea is that we have to do a little bit more than just know what it says. We have to meditate on what it says. We have to live out what it says. In a lot of ways, um, Psalm 1992, as I shared a few minutes ago, is a great summary of my life. I feel like I can look back at this stage and say, you know what, if I hadn't gotten into the Word of God, when everything in my life was falling apart, I really don't know where I would be today. But I have to confess, it took a while for that realization to occur. I was a few weeks into memorizing Scripture, and my thought was, this is hard. I'm not sure that this is really worthwhile. I've, I've signed up to do it, so I'll keep doing it, but I'm not really seeing anything come of this. It took a while. It's almost like going to the gym. 
I remember uh, a while back, my wife and I started going to the gym regularly, and since we've fallen out of the habit, but you know, for a while we were all about it. And uh, the first day that I went, I came back, I was so sore. And someone who works in the same office building with me saw how I was walking, and he said, what happened to you? You know, but at that point in, in, my, in my life, I hadn't experienced any real benefit from going to the gym. All I knew is that I was sore, and I looked the same in the mirror. <laughs> but if you stick with it for a while, things start to change. And the same is true for me uh, when I started memorizing Scripture. It took a while for me to see the impact, but I eventually did. I realized, wow, sharing the gospel suddenly isn't so intimidating because I'm not as concerned about what to say. I could share the Bible. When I'm waking up in the night and I'm depressed because my life has just fallen apart, I have something that I can hang on to. I, I have some promises of God that I can rest my faith on in those moments. When I, when I have a friend who's, who's about to go off in left field, I can say, well, did you know the Bible says this about that? But it took a while for me to experience that fruit. And so I would encourage you, uh, if you're not actively memorizing a scripture, I hope you'll start, but I also hope that you'll commit to giving it at least enough time for those things to start happening, because that's not going to all happen overnight. If at the end of six months, scripture memorization and meditation have not impacted your life in a positive way, you have my permission to stop. But I can guarantee you that after six months, even probably three months, it's going to start producing fruit in your life. You'll start to see that tree from Psalm 1, verse 3, take shape, and it will make a positive difference in your life. In the final few minutes uh, that I have with you, I want to share just a few practical tips that I think will help you in your Scripture memorization. I call these the three W's of memorizing Scripture. The first one is, what will you memorize? having some sort of specific goal. Uh, there's a friend of mine who memorized the entire book of Revelation. I'm not kidding. And he recites it in churches as his ministry. Uh, but he says a lot of people have these scripture memory goals, but they kind of live on someday island. You know, uh, I'll, I'll get to that someday, sometime. And the best way to combat that is by first of all saying, here is something specific that I'm going to memorize. Not just general memorization of God's word, but specific memorization of a particular passage. And I think that's the first step, having a specific goal. Uh, the next thing would be decide when you're going to finish, when you're going to finish memorizing that passage. Put a date on your calendar and say, you know what, by the end of October, I really should be able to recite all of Psalm 1. That's six verses in 30 days. I think I can do that. Have a specific goal and set for yourself a specific deadline. And, you know, that might sound legalistic, but in most other areas of our life, we have some structure built in, don't we? You know, I was homeschooled, and my mom always had a definite plan every year as far as what curriculum we were going to complete, when we were going to be finished. And none of her uh, fellow homeschool moms said, well, that's pretty legalistic, isn't it? They would say, you know, you have to be intentional. If you want to make that progress, and I feel like the same is true when it comes to Memorizing scripture, have something specific that you'd like to memorize and then set out to do it by a definite time. And then the final W is, uh, who will you recite to? That's the tough one because it sounds an awful lot like accountability and none of us like that. But a few years ago, I had a friend call me when I was 
at the office of Scripture Memory Fellowship, and he said, Dakota, could I start reciting my verses to you every week? And of course, when you're at SMF, you say, yes, of course. And so every week we started having this phone call, and he would recite to me, and of course, I felt constrained that I should have something to recite to him as well. And did you know what I realized? If I'm going to recite some verses on Friday, I make a lot of progress on Thursday. And I work at Scripture Memory Fellowship. I'm supposed to be able to just do this out of my own self-motivation. But, you know, self-motivation comes and goes. I might feel very energetic to memorize Scripture today, but I may not three weeks from now. And so have someone in your life that you recite to. And and don't make it awkward. You can just say, hey, I've decided I'd like to memorize Psalm 1. Could I start reciting to you when we get together in Sunday school? Could I just share a few verses and you can tell me if I'm saying it correctly? And you'll be surprised how fruitful those relationships become. It's really a special thing to have someone that you're just reciting God's word with. So that's what God has laid on my heart uh, to share with you this morning as we think about what does it mean to delight in God's word. I hope this week that you'll pick a passage of scripture to delight in, that you'll take time to know what it says, that you'll immerse yourself in the text of scripture, look at the context of the passage and figure out what does this passage say, and then pick out a specific portion of that passage that you'll meditate on this week and ask God to show you how it should shape your life. And I think when we make that a life habit, we'll be, we'll be able to look back someday as David did and say, unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. So I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is inspired, that it is forever settled in heaven. And Father, Lord, we we would ask this morning that you give us the same commitment, the same determination that we find in David who said, I will never forget your precepts. Help us to make that same commitment. Help us to treasure your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. And we pray that as we do that, we would be like the tree that sends down root, that bears fruit, and that our lives would be pleasing in your sight, that we would bear much fruit, as it says in John fifteen eight, and so prove to be your disciples, we pray in Jesus' name.